0: hands at midnight neath a starry sky. Nice work if you can get it and you can get it if you try.
1: How can we end the threat of nuclear annihilation? Is mutually assured destruction a form of collective insanity? Is there any role for nuclear weapons in a reasonable defense policy? This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from Coverley Auditorium on the Stanford campus.
2: Continuing conversations that begin a stone's throw away at Philosopher's Corner, where Ken teaches philosophy, and I did for 40 years.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Today, we're thinking about nuclear doomsday. Yeah,
2: but why worry about nuclear doomsday now, Ken? The Cold War is over. We had 30,000 warheads pointed at the Soviets. They had even more pointed at us. I I think we're down to a fraction of that. A climate doomsday seems more worth worrying about.
1: Yeah, John, you got to realize there are still enough weapons in each country's arsenal to incinerate the Earth cause a nuclear winter and extinguish practically all, not just human life, but all life on this planet. But why not take comfort in the fact that
2: exactly one country has ever seen fit to use a nuclear weapon?
1: That was over 70 years ago. One country so far, but more countries are getting into this nuclear act all the time. I mean, now there's India and Pakistan, there's Israel. It's North Korea, for gravity's sake. Some some terrorist with a dirty bomb may be the next one. Look, the more players there are with nukes, the more likely they are to be used again, don't you think? Well, no, I don't know.
2: When we dropped A-bombs on Japan, we had a nuclear monopoly. There was nothing really to deter us from using them. But since we lost that monopoly, and there's been this mutual deterrence, not a singular nuclear weapon has been unleashed.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, but John, we've come close a couple of times. I mean, I know you, 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 were, you remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, I'm sure. Uh, and you remember that during the Berlin Crisis, President Kennedy went on national TV and in the middle of his speech urged Americans to start building fallout shelters. You remember that, right? I remember it very
2: well. My folks listened to the broadcast and built a fallout shelter. Then a couple of years later, when the Cuban Missile Crisis came, Frenchie and I were ready to drive up and get in their bomb shelter when Khrushchev started removing the missiles. So, so. so, no, so Khrushchev saved the world and saved us from a long weekend yeah, yeah. in a very small
1: place <laughs> with my folks. But, but look, John, <laughs> Josh, given that you lived through that, how can you possibly be sanguine about nuclear proliferation?
2: Well, I'm not sanguine. I'm not sanguine about anything. Uh, uh, <laughs> I just recognize while in a perfect world no nation would have any nuclear weapons, we, we don't live in a perfect world. As long as U.S., Russia, and China and others insist on having huge nuclear arsenals, you can't expect other countries not to have at least
1: smaller. But that kind of thinking—that—that's that that right there. That's a recipe for disaster. Come on.
2: Well, or a recipe for a nuclear standoff. I mean, if you've got nuclear weapons and I don't, you push me around. Look what happened to poor Gaddafi. Well, not poor Gaddafi, the jerk Gaddafi. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) If. You and I both have them. You don't mess with me and I don't mess with you like Kung Jung,
1: what's his name, in America.
2: disarmament would be great, but a standoff beats both nuclear war and nuclear domination.
1: That's like the, uh, NRA's bogus argument that, oh, we're all safer with guns everywhere. But look, more weapons in more hands doesn't make us more safe. It just means more chances for accidents, more chances for strategic miscalculation, more chances for... Just uh, something brinkmanship, more pressure to get ever more powerful weapons. Look, if we want nuclear safety, we've got to break the nuclear wheel, John. But how do you propose to do that? You can't expect
2: nations to unilaterally disarm. You can't expect the U.S. and Russia to have mutual disarmament with China waiting in the wings, waiting to be
1: dominant. Look, think about it this way. Nuclear weapons are mostly useless anyway, so why not just give them up? Useless? Well, come on, ask yourself. Did nuclear weapons save the Soviets from defeat in Afghanistan? Or or did they forestall the collapse of the entire Soviet empire? Did they prevent America's debacles in Iraq or Vietnam? Have they helped Israel? You know, their undeclared nuclear arsenal that everybody knows they have? Has it helped them solve their Palestinian problem? They're useless. You're thinking of it in the
2: wrong way, maybe. Nuclear weapons are meant to be useful in a way that a cocked and loaded gun is useful as an instrument of intimidation. Oh, God, except
1: that if you actually have to fire your cocked and loaded nuclear weapons, well, then you fail, right? And then the next time that somebody does, actually does fire them, it will almost certainly be the last time that either they or anyone else gets to use this cocked and loaded gun. That's a pretty limited form of utility, I'd say.
2: Well, Ken, there's a lot to think about here that we usually don't like to think about. So we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Liza Veal, to remind us just how fraught the history of nuclear weapons and nuclear technology more generally has been. She files this
3: report. These days, when you think of total existential planetary annihilation, you're probably thinking about climate change. For good reason.
1: If we do nothing to keep glaciers from melting faster and oceans from rising faster and forests from burning faster and storms from growing stronger, we will condemn our children to a planet beyond their capacity to repair.
3: But for Kate Brown, who's a professor of science, technology, and society at MIT, there's another reason to lose sleep. America has around 4,800 nuclear warheads, which is more than enough, not just to destroy Earth, but to provide 4th of July fireworks for
0: Martians. The only thing that calms me down is not thinking about it, frankly.
3: The threat of nuclear technology. It's receded from our collective fears, but Brown says not for any rational reason just from a kind of recency bias. Nothing terrible has happened in a while.
0: We are alive today and have not encountered nuclear Armageddon really only just by chance and circumstance.
3: Nuclear weapons are becoming easier and cheaper to build. And it's not unlikely that other countries like Iran, Turkey, and Saudi Arabia might get them in the next 20 years. North Korea keeps adding to its stockpile. And you don't have to imagine a hypothetical wartime conflict escalating to the point of a nuclear attack. All it takes is a small mistake.
0: There's been so many close calls. uh, Nuclear weapons falling out of planes. There's been very close encounters where um, American planes violated Soviet airspace and the Soviets thought it was an attack.
3: Making matters worse, the latest hypersonic missile delivery systems mean if a country thinks it's being attacked, it doesn't have hours to decide how to respond has minutes. If a country misinterprets a signal, it could be too late.
0: The more these missiles populate the Earth, the more danger we are in.
3: When we think of a nuclear attack, we imagine a big blast that flattens a city. But nuclear warfare is a lot like chemical and biological warfare. After the pyrotechnics are over, the long-term manifestations of that one millisecond flash of a bomb continue for centuries
0: radioactive contaminants damage DNA, chromosomes, organs, so that people develop cancers later in life. They develop cardiac problems later in life. Uh, Birth defects are an outcome. So that the repercussions of nuclear warfare continue for generations, 10 generations and offspring.
3: Worldwide, what we've had since these technologies were first introduced is rising rates of cancer, rising rates of birth defects, male sperm count has been cut in half since 1945. But we've never adequately funded research investigating the causation between those things and the nuclear radiation from atmospheric testing of weapons during the Cold War. From the beginning, nuclear technology wasn't just about weapons. It was supposed to be the beginning of an era of free energy.
2: Here, in fact, is the answer to a dream as old as man himself, a giant of limitless power at man's command. And where was it science found that giant? In the atom.
3: Since its commercialization in the 1970s, nuclear power has prevented the emission of about 64 billion tons of carbon dioxide. It's because of these virtues that nuclear technology has been allowed to proliferate around the world. But it's also why we can no longer contain the threat of nuclear weapons. One of our greatest hopes for salvation is also one of our greatest liabilities. The scientists have always known this, of course. Robert Oppenheimer from the Manhattan Project, he knew it. He knew
2: the world would not be the same. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds.
3: I suppose we all thought that one way or another. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Liza Veal.